You're listening to the sermon cast of First Presbyterian Church Spartanburg. To watch the full video of this worship service and to learn more about the ministries of our church, visit us online at fpcspartanburg.org. We hope you enjoy the message. As the children were leaving, one of them handed me an offering envelope. Sort of a beautiful image. Maybe we'll come back to that. Our second reading today comes from the prophet Micah, as I was just sharing with the children. Micah is a short book, and we meet Micah today in the sixth chapter, where we hear what may very well be some of the most familiar words to many of us in all of the Hebrew Bible. So let us listen once more for God's word as we hear these verses from Micah chapter 6. Micah speaks saying, listen to what the Lord says. Stand up, plead my case before the mountains. Let the hills hear what you have to say. Hear you mountains, the Lord's accusation. Listen, you everlasting foundations of the earth. For the Lord has a case against his people. He is lodging a charge against Israel. My people, the Lord asks, what have I done to you? How have I burdened you? Answer me. I brought you up out of Egypt and redeemed you from the land of slavery. I sent Moses to lead you, also Aaron and Miriam. My people, remember what Balak, king of Moab, plotted and what Balaam, son of Beor, answered. Remember your journey from Shittim to Gilgal, that you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God? Friends, this too is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Today's sermon is titled, Three Stickers. Let us pray. Good and gracious God, we pray that your spirit would move amongst us once more. Through its work, O God, you would affix a new word to our very souls. Indeed, O God, we pray that through your spirit, the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts gathered here together in your sight would be pleasing and glorifying to you. For you and you alone are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I've shared from time to time about a friend I have who lives in Asheville, North Carolina, that loves to go around taking pictures of bumper stickers. 
Now living in Asheville is sort of a mecca for that kind of hobby. (laughs) And so over the years he has collected a lot of bumper stickers. So many in fact that a few years ago he decided that he would publish a book with his top picks, his favorite bumper stickers. He called his book, What is on Your Rear End? When you flip through the pages, you find bumper stickers with slogans like, everyone is entitled to my opinion. And are you following Jesus this close? (laughs) Don't postpone joy. It's never too late to have a happy childhood. There's one big one in orange near the middle that says, despite the high cost of living, it remains popular. (laughs) My favorite, I think, might be the one that says, I may be old, but I got to see all the cool bands. (laughs) Page after page of bumper stickers. What is it about bumper stickers? You know, this friend near the beginning of his book, he writes that the thing that's always attracted him about bumper stickers is that they give people who have something to say a voice to say it, which is true. But still, I can't help but notice the fact that for as many thought-provoking and inspiring and funny bumper stickers as there are out there, there seems to be an equal measure of stickers that are angry and threatening, and even hateful. Now, I have nothing against bumper stickers. I resisted the urge before this service of going out and doing a little tour of our parking lots to see (laughs) what kind of stickers there may be out on your cars. I suspect that what we would find is a rather diverse spectrum of stickers. I have nothing against them. It's just sometimes, you know, I wonder if bumper stickers might do more to distance us from one another rather than unite us. Anyone ever pulled up to an intersection and as you're coming to an idle with the car next to you, you notice a sticker or stickers there that just get your blood boiling and you slow to a stop and your fingers just tighten a little bit and you look over at them and you start drawing all sorts of conclusions, don't you? I know I do, right? We draw conclusions about people despite not knowing anything about them, not knowing where they come from, why or how it is they have been formed and the way that they have been formed. I sometimes wonder if stickers like that If the voice that they help us find to borrow my friend's language is not always the healthiest or the most faithful. Even aspirational, thought-provoking stickers, right? I still wonder to myself all the time, do what those stickers say ever actually leave the bumper? Right? You all ever met someone with a don't postpone joy sticker on their bumper and they are the least joyful person you have ever met in your life? (laughs) Right? Are the bumper stickers we put there, in other words, actually lived reality or are they just hollow words? That seems to be the heart of the issue for God in our reading from Micah today. 
Micah was a prophet, as I shared with the children, who ministered some 700 years before the time of Christ. That's a long time ago. At that time, the nation of Israel was divided into two kingdoms. There was a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. And the northern kingdom had just been sacked. It had just been defeated by the regional superpower in that area called the Assyrians. And so suddenly the southern kingdom where Micah lives and does his ministry is experiencing this influx of people as they flee the war. These refugees pour over the border and in a sort of reverse way, all of a sudden the southern kingdom and its capital city, this place called Jerusalem, they suddenly start to undergo this almost urban revival. Because now all of a sudden there's more people, there's more business, there's this temple in Jerusalem, this beautiful temple. And suddenly the priest looks out on Sundays and sees that there's not a single seat left in the house. It's never been that way. Suddenly Israel, the people who Micah is prophesying to, they, they have this thing on their hands that they call a budget surplus. Right, all of a sudden, these people have life going pretty darn good, for a few at least. But Micah, Micah looks around and senses that there's still something broken. There's something underneath the surface that is utterly and profoundly wrong. And to get a sense of what it is Micah sees that troubles him so, you have to back up. It's a short book, the book of Micah, only seven chapters, so you don't have to turn too many pages before you get to the first chapter. Most of the study Bibles I have read that chapter in have a subject heading at the top of it that just says that this chapter is about decrying social evil. Gives you a little bit of foreshadowing of what you're about to get into. In the first chapter of Micah, the prophet just lays into Israel. Micah lays into them for these exploitative land practices that he sees happening all around him where a few people are gathering up all of the most prime real estate for themselves. Right? He lays into Israel for these policies that he sees them setting into place that are generating wealth for a very few at the expense of a very many, particularly the poorest and most vulnerable among them. Right? He lays into Israel for saying all the right things, for going to church, for tithing, for giving to their favorite charities, for talking the talk, in other words, but not actually walking the walk. In Micah's mind, it seems like he views Israel like the kind of person who drives around with a peace, love, and happiness sticker on their bumper and yet spends their days making everyone else's lives miserable. And so here in our chapter this morning, Micah picks us all up and he transports us to this metaphorical courtroom. If you open back up to that passage, you'll find that it literally is a story written as if you are in a courtroom. Creation itself are all the observers out in the gallery. He begins this chapter, chapter 6, by describing how the wind quiets and the rock underfoot firms up and the trees literally bend in. It's this beautiful, wonderful imagery. And then God sitting over there at the plaintiff's table, God stands up and God begins to speak. 
almost like a parent at wit's end. Any parents here ever been at wit's end? Never happens in my house. Like a parent at their wit's end, God asks the defendants. God asks them, what, what have I done? Right? How have I burdened you, Israel? Tell me. And then God proceeds to list all the saving acts down through history. Uh, Israel, you remember when you were slaves in Egypt and I got you out of there? Or how about that time I walked with you for 40 years through the wilderness? Israel, is your memory so short that you have already forgotten all of the enemies that I have saved you from over and over again? God lists everything that God has done for Israel and exasperated takes God's seat and waits to hear what they have to say. And Israel, Israel with a tinge of guilt in their voice, well, they respond in the way children respond, don't they? Israel stands up, takes inventory of everything that the other side has laid out, and essentially asks God, how can I buy my way out of this situation? What do it take, God? How about a, a calf, a year old? That's a great sacrifice. Would that appease you, parent? Okay, if not that, how about a thousand rams? Rams are some of the choicest sacrifices in this sacrificial culture. Not that? Whew. What about 10,000 rivers of, of oil? Oil is currency, liquid, gold. Would that do it, God? What about my firstborn? Desperation. The religious, one commentator I read notes, but Israel's idea of what religion means, it turns out is far, far from what God hopes for them. And what does God hope for Israel? What does God hope for us? God hopes that they'll stop, start living, start living in a manner where they don't rest until the most vulnerable and the most poor among them are treated fairly. What does God hope for them? God hopes that Israel will start loving with God-like love. Right Where Israel will start to see others, especially those with bumper stickers different than the ones on their own bumpers. Start seeing them how God sees them, which is worthy. Broken, flawed, perhaps misguided, sure, but worthy. What God hopes for Israel in this courtroom is that they will start to step, not out in front, but to begin to step in line with their creator and with their savior. A while back, I was going up to Montreat, North Carolina for something. If you've never been there, you take I-40, or at least that's one route. If you take I-40, though, you get off and you have to go right through downtown Black Mountain to get up to Montreat. 
And there's an intersection right there in downtown that if you hit it at the wrong time of day and in the wrong season of the year, you're prone to sit there for a few cycles of the traffic light until you finally get to make it to the other side. And so I was sitting there at this traffic light and I looked over and just opposite me there was a car parked on the opposite side and it was covered in stickers. Like not just the bumper. I mean, this was one of those cars that had stickers over the trunk, the back window, the side windows. I didn't check, but I wouldn't be surprised if they were on the roof and maybe even underneath. And I'm sitting there in my car and I begin to sort of draw a picture in my mind the way I suspect many of us are prone to do of just the type of person I think would probably own a car like that. And in God's infinite sense of humor and wisdom, I found out I was dead wrong. Because out of the hardware store there at the corner comes this older gentleman. Flannel shirt, big suspenders, bald head, big gray beard and hair. Looked a little like Santa Claus. Not what I imagined. And he shuffles down to this car that's parked there on the side of the street. And wouldn't you know, he leans over the trunk and he begins to scrape off one of the stickers off the back window. He gets the edges and he pulls it off. He'd been carrying this brown bag and he reaches into the bag and what does he pull out? A new sticker. (laughs) His newest sticker he had just picked up at the hardware store there in downtown Black Mountain and he begins to smooth it into the space that he's just created from the one he removed. As the light turned green, I had two simultaneous thoughts. The first thing I wondered to myself is, you know, Alan... What are those things on your heart that most need peeling off, right? What are those things that all of us are driving around with on our spiritual rear ends, if you will? Those things that we carry with us each day, even though we know God so laments them. Our anger, our fear, Those prejudices that are so deeply ingrained in us, we hardly even realize they're prejudices anymore. Our greed, our selfishness, our overwhelming obsession of how big and how great and how successful we are or or might one day be. What are those things that each of us need to just go ahead and peel off? But the second thought I had at the very same time was what would it look like, I wonder, if in the space we create there from removing a few of those things we carry around now, what would it look like if in that space we filled it with the words of Micah 6? What would it look like if we filled that now empty space with this renewed commitment to live lives where people mark us as disciples of Jesus Christ, not by our religious fervor or our budget surpluses or our ability to quote scripture or find books as small and as arcane as the book of Micah and the Bible, not by how convincing we can be that God is on our side and not yours, What would it look like if instead we began to live lives where others would mark us as disciples of Jesus Christ by the ways we advocate for justice in a world that, as we have been reminded of yet again, is so full of violence?
and of hate. What would it look like if we began to replace those stickers with lives that that sought to remind others of who we follow in this life by the ways we practice kindness in all things and towards all people, by the ways we demonstrate humility in this era where pride and ego seems to still be the ultimate prize? Because after all, what what friends does the Lord require of us but to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with our God? What God requires, in other words, are our lives. All of it. My car is parked in the upper parking lot over here today. And if you walk by it after church, you'll find that there are two stickers on the bumper. There's a church sticker that's in need of updating. I'll get to it eventually. And there's a Montreat sticker. Both a little faded, a little cracked, but they're there. The reality, of course, is, though, that there are other stickers on my car you can't see. There are stickers that come in all shapes and sizes and colors. Stickers that mark the places I love, the causes I care about, the quotes that inspire me, the people I believe in, the wisdom that I aspire to live by. We all have those stickers, don't we? Even if the back of your car is completely clean, we're still carrying around, aren't we? Those marks of the things that matter to us. Those things that we hope will communicate to others who we are and who we follow. But for now, there's only two stickers that you can see. But I'm beginning to wonder if there might be room for one more. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.